that song in the last uh, couple of decades has endeared itself to our congregations, and uh, it's a great song. There's just one thing I would add to that song. When we sing it, instead of facing the song leader, we ought to face each other. I mean, we ought to just turn and, and, and look at each other because it is a song that we're singing about the relationship we have with one another, and that's, of course, love. Glad you're here this morning. I mentioned last Sunday night in stormy weather. Uh, I hope it doesn't rain and storm on, on the judgment day because half of the brethren won't show up. <laughs> Glad you're here this morning. And I know our weather is extremely unusual uh, for, for Texas. <laughs> you know, uh, there's strange things that happen in Texas, but I'll, I believe this is the strangest summer I've ever seen in my lifetime of all the cool weather and the wet weather, I'm not complaining. We're out of the drought uh, category now, and now we're into the flash flood category. So wherever we are, we're glad to be there. You know, Grady King has been with us the last two Sundays, and I want to say this about Grady. Grady is not a visiting preacher for us. Grady is one of the ministers of this congregation now, and I hope that you won't take an opportunity when Grady comes to think, well, we've just got a visiting preacher today. I don't think I need to be there. Be here. Be here on Sundays when John's preaching and be here on Sundays when Grady's preaching because the two of us together represent uh, the pulpit at this church right now, the preaching of the word in this congregation. And together, Grady and I are working in a very special way, in a very special calling at this time in our personal lives to uh, join a, up together and, and to serve as co-ministers of this congregation along with Jared and, and to serve this church in a very special way on the Lord's days when we come together to hear a word from the Lord. I think Patrick did this over the years, but do we have any Bibles today? I think we'll do a Bible check this morning. Any Bibles today? Now, I know what the color of the songbook is, so don't hold up any songbooks. You know, if, if there's any, any place you can carry your Bible, it ought to be to church, right? It ought to be in our times of worship. Bring your Bibles with you. Some of you have the uh, smartphones and have 48 translations on your smartphones, so you can compare all these translations while the preacher's preaching. And in our Bibles today... We're turning to a couple of little books, and we're going to concentrate on one of them mainly, but these are letters of correspondence that Paul wrote to a church a long, long time ago, and we know them in our Bibles as First and Second Thessalonians. Now, when you hear that, Thessalonians, when you hear names that come out of the Bible, people's names, places, and local churches, it sounds like... That's a, a world away from where we live. You know, that's just centuries and centuries ago. And some people have this attitude even about the whole Bible, that it's, it's an ancient book, it's an irrelevant book, it has nothing to do with my life today. I am convinced that the Bible is just as timely as uh, the front page of the newspaper and probably even more so. It's just as timely as some of those text and information that shows up on your smartphone that you didn't even ask for, but it's telling you about what's going on in our world today and maybe some things you need to be aware of. 
The same is true with the Word of God. The Bible says about itself that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. God's Word has the ability to cut into the heart of our soul and touch us where we need touching, heal us where we need healing, remove sickness and sin that needs to be removed because God's Word is alive and God's Word is active. Thessalonians, the city of Thessalonica. When Paul went there, here was a city at the time of Paul's arrival that was already 400 years old. Now, you know I like history, and I like present history wherever I am. But you go over to the northeast of this country and... People don't talk about uh, World War II or World War I or the Civil War. They talk about the Revolutionary War. Things are old back that direction. And if you just keep on going and you end up in the modern country of Greece, which in the Bible was Macedonia and Achaia, you would find yourself in one of the leading cities of Macedonia at that time and even today the city of Thessalonica. It was named after the half-sister of Alexander the Great. Well, enough about that history. Let's bring it into the present. Do you know anybody from Thessalonica? I went to school at Harding University with a man named Mike Sinopiatis. When he introduced himself in our Bible class, he said, I am from Thessalonica. That was not in southwest Arkansas, folks, or northeast Texas. And the other day, I reacquainted myself with a man who has served as an elder for a number of years in Springdale, Arkansas. His name is Dr. Poulos. Dr. Poulos. And Dr. Poulos told me a few weeks ago, he said, John, I am taking my grandson back to my home. And I said, Dr. Poulos, where are you from? He said, I am from Thessaloniki. That's the pronunciation of the ancient city of Thessalonica. I said, well, did you ever know Mike Sinopiatis? He said, yes, I knew him. Our mothers worked together, and that's how I came to know about Harding College, Harding University, and ended up coming to America to study and to become a pharmacist. Hmm. Thessaloniki, that town still exists. It's still built on the foundations of this city where Paul traveled. And he traveled there for one purpose, and that was to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to people who did not know Jesus as Lord and Savior. I want us to think over these next few months some things that Paul writes to these churches, to this church in particular, because I think there are some similarities. There are things that we at Lamar Avenue have in common with this ancient church, this ancient city, this city that still stands today and where there are still Christians meeting in the name of the Lord. For one thing, when we read the introductions to these two little letters, they're going to sound very similar. And I want us to hear these words at the outset today. The first four verses of 
the first book and the second book in our Bible known as 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Paul and Silvanus, or Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you making mention of you in our prayers and constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, your labor of love, steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, His choice of you. In the second book, Paul and Silvanus, Silas and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Almost identical to the first book. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting because your faith is greatly enlarged and the love of each one of you toward one another grows even greater. And therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. How did Paul and this church become acquainted? When we read this book and we dig into it, we're going to find out a lot about the heart of the church and the heart of the preacher. And since we as a congregation are seeking God's man for this pulpit, we need to do some self-inventory. We need to look at ourselves. We need to see our heart as a church as we are seeking to determine the heart of the next man and family who will serve this congregation as minister of the word, preaching minister of the word. And so Paul's going to tell us a lot about himself, but he's also going to give us some insights into the life of a very young church. Now there's where the difference is. This congregation in Thessalonica was very young. Paul had visited there on his second missionary journey sometime around 50 A.D., and he writes back this letter very quickly after having left there. He didn't stay with this church very long. As a matter of fact, his tenure was about three months. It wasn't his fault that he left, but it was due to the opposition, religious opposition from the Jewish people that he had first met on three Sabbath days meeting with the Jews in the synagogue and reasoning with them from Scripture and trying to convince them that Jesus Christ was really the Messiah they were looking for. He was truly the Christ, the Son of God. Some of them accepted that teaching, Acts 17 tells us in Luke's account as the historian of those days. But many of them apparently did not, and it became apparent that Paul needed to leave town because, well, after all, the, the, some of the Jews took some accusations to the city authorities and said, you know, this man is teaching something that is contrary to our law. He is saying that there is another king, and he is not the uh, emperor of Rome. He is King Jesus. And they said, you know, these men, Paul and Timothy and Silas, here's a great accusation, a great comment made 
that was supposed to have been a negative comment, but it's one of the more positive comments about the early disciples. In Acts 17, it says, These are the men who have turned the world upside down. They have upset the whole world, and now they've come to our city. What had they been doing to turn the world upside down? They had been talking to people about Jesus. They had been proclaiming the gospel, and now they've come to our city, and so these Jewish people said, we need to get them out of here. And the converts said, Paul, you, you and your men, you all need to leave town. Well, I don't know if he said y'all, but he said, you need to leave town, okay? So, Paul writes back to this church, and here's what he says about his feelings about this congregation. He says, I am thankful to God always for you, and I am praying for you, and I am constantly bearing in mind, I'm constantly in my mind thinking about you. What makes a healthy church? Let's just put that question out this morning. What makes a healthy church? Well, in our way of thinking, uh, perhaps we would want to know uh, how many people attend that church. Is it a little church, a medium church, a big-sized church? And in our way of thinking in our Western culture, the bigger the church, the better the church. The bigger it is, the stronger it is. Bigger is not always better. So, is that the case? Well, what kind of a church building did this church in Thessalonica have? No mention of it. How many people attended there? Not one reference to one member by name. Well, what was their contribution? I mean, they had a budget, surely, because they had to pay utility bills and they had to pay Paul and Silas and Timothy as their preachers. Not one reference to how much money they gave to God on Sunday. All of the things that we often acquaint with whether or not a church is healthy and strong, there is not one reference to any of that in what Paul is saying here. In both instances, in the opening paragraph of these two letters, there are three essentials that Paul makes reference to. Did you catch it? He says it in each instance. I am constantly bearing in mind, number one, your work of faith. Number two, your labor of love. And number three, your steadfastness or your perseverance of hope. Paul is a great hand in all of his writings to talk about these three eternal elements, these three qualities that basically represent the, I guess you could say, this is the summary definition of what Paul believes Christianity is and what the church is. Faith, hope, love. You'll remember the end of 1 Corinthians 13 on that great love chapter. And he closes by saying these three things abide. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So regardless of how many people make up the membership of a local church, it doesn't make any difference how many programs you have or how many projects you're involved with or you name it. 
the things that we often associate with whether or not a church is a strong, healthy, vibrant church. The church could have ten members. The church could have a thousand members. But if that church doesn't have faith, hope, and love, it cannot be identified as a true church of Jesus Christ. I believe these three qualities represent the briefest definition of what Christianity is all about and what church life is to be all about. Because you see, they relate to both the past, the present, and also the future. Faith often is associated with certainly the present time, but often we talk about our heritage of faith. I remember years ago uh, when preaching here and we made a trip to South Africa, and I met people over there who were proud to say, we are third generation Christians in our family. You see, the church hadn't been planted very long in some of those towns and some of those cities. And they were, they were tickled to say, our family has been a part of the Lord's church for three generations. We have in this building today at least families that have four generations, and some of you still have five living generations that have been a part of the church. But in the case of this church, they were the first. They were the first converts. And so they were building that church on a foundation of faith. And James tells us the faith that saves is the faith that works. Faith without works is dead. Now he didn't say works saved us, but he said a saving faith works. And Paul is complimenting this young congregation for their work of faith and for their labor of love. Love is not just a sentiment that's to be expressed. Love is often expressed not only in word, but it must be expressed in action. And if we really love the Lord, we will labor for the Lord. It's a different word than the word work. To me, the word labor conjures up a little more difficult work, a little harder work, a work that requires a lot of commitment and a lot of uh, stick within it. And so that's the kind of love these people had. How much do you love the Lord, Paul might ask this church. And they would say, well, look around at all the things we're doing. We're laboring because we love the Lord. We're not doing this just out of a sense of duty, but we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Paul was proud to speak of them and remember them for their labor of love. Maybe it's love that really motivates us in the present. Faith got us started, but love keeps us going. And then there's this steadfastness of hope. That word could be translated patience or perseverance or endurance. And when you hear the word hope, generally you're thinking down the road, aren't you? You're thinking about the expectation you have of something that is yet to be attained. I am hoping to go. I am hoping to be there. I am hoping on my way to heaven. Not hopping, but I am hoping that heaven is going to be my reward. Hope is faith plus expectation. I believe God has promised me the reward, and I am fully expecting to receive it. And it was this hope 
You know, in that second letter, he talks in that introductory thing about their affliction, their persecution, the hard times they're going through. And it's in the hard times, it's in the uncertain times, that what we need is a faith to stand on, a love that keeps our hearts strong for God, but at the same time, a hope that says, I am not going to give up. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to endure all the way until the end. To me, these are the essentials. It's nice to have a good building to, to worship in. It's nice to have comfort and convenience. I mean, if all the electricity had stayed off this morning, we'd be worshiping in the dark. We'd be worshiping without our coats on. Uh, some of us probably wouldn't be worshiping here at all because it was just too inconvenient to get out and to make it here. The things that we have that make Christianity so comfortable and so convenient, if they were removed, would we work with our faith? Would we labor because of our love? Would we give up? Or would we hold on because of our hope? Paul wants this church to know that they are a special people. And that's why in verse 4 he says, Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. Our times of collective worship, I think, are a constant reminder of how much God loves us. If we ever lose sight of the fact of God's love, all we need to do is to get together, sing a few songs, pray some prayers, let God speak to us through his word, count our many blessings and name them one by one, and realize we are beloved of God. God loves us deeply, and here's an indication of his love. Paul says to this church, you have been chosen by God. You are God's elect. You are God's choice. That makes us very special people. Now, that's nothing to boast about. That's nothing for us to go be arrogant about in our spirituality, but to be thankful that God loved us so much that in calling us through the message of his gospel, we know that we have been chosen by God. So in this time of self-inventory as a congregation, getting ourselves ready, getting the church ready to to receive a new minister that God has chosen, that God will bring to this place in, in the course of due season. As we prepare ourselves for that, let's constantly check our faith, our hope, and our love. Because these are the great qualities that make up a healthy church. And any time we decide we can stop believing, or we can quit loving one another, or we've lost sight of what tomorrow might bring and we're uncertain about tomorrow and, and, and we're fretting about, uh, I just don't know if things are going to work. Hang on and hold on to God, especially in the times that are uncertain and in days of difficulty. Be steadfast and patient and endure because of that great quality of hope. When we sing this invitation song this morning, I want you to remember there's people that have come from Thessaloniki to become great servants of the Lord. And part of that heritage goes all the way back to these days 
about 53 A.D., where Paul writes to a church and says, I know you're young, I know you're new converts, and I want to help to mature you in the faith, in the love, and in the hope that can only be found in Christ Jesus. We're going to stand and sing our song of encouragement. If there's a way we can help you this morning with your spiritual needs, please come as we stand and sing. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way, thou art the potter, I am the clay, mold me and make me after thy you for being here today to worship, especially those of you who are visiting. We School is about to start. We know that during the summertime and before school, people make transitions to other communities, and so you may be one of those, and so we stand ready to help you in any way that we can assist you during that transition, and we pray and hope that uh, you'll come worship with us every opportunity that you have. I want to thank the men. We have a number of men in this congregation who are willing to lead. And uh, we've been led very well today in our songs, in our prayers, in our communion service. And so uh, let's be thankful that we do have capable men to lead us. Uh, John mentioned Grady and... and uh, I had a discussion with John he, uh, early on, and we were talking about the men who were on the IMP uh, cadre, and he said, uh, you know, I know Grady King. I've known him a long time. I know him well. We could tag team together very good. Well, I think that's happening. <laughs> 
and we should be thankful for that. In fact, there's been some word around that uh, why don't we just drag out this process of finding a new minister and so we can just keep hearing John and Grady. We're blessed to have them. Let's go to our Father in prayer and we'll be dismissed. I have overlooked one thing, though. Uh, a very important thing. Our brother Troy Ashby uh, left me a note this morning. And uh, he says, I'm dealing with private personal issues and need prayers for strength to become a real Christian and husband. So as we pray this morning, we want to pray for Troy, and I know you'll want to extend uh, uh, your words of encouragement to him when we dismiss this morning. So let's, uh, let's go to our Father in prayer. <clears throat> Our God and our Father in heaven, we, we're so thankful that we have uh, been able to hear a message from your word. Ancient words to a people who were commended for being brave and not giving up on their faith in spite of some severe sufferings that they were going through. And furthermore, Father, we're thankful for Paul's instruction to them on how to live in order to be pleasing to you. And Father, we realize that these words are for us as well. And so we pray, Father, that you'd strengthen us each day to live in a way that would be pleasing to you. We pray, Father, that it would be a church that would excel in the work of faith and labor of love and that we would continue to be inspired by our hope in Christ. Father, we pray for our brother Troy and we're thankful, Father, for his courage to acknowledge that Perhaps in, in ways in his life he's not been the Christian that he would hope to be, that he wants to be, or the husband. And we pray, Father, that you would strengthen him. We pray that we'd each one reach out to him and encourage him in every way that we can uh, to be the Christian and the man that you would want him to be. We're thankful, Father, for this church and what it means to all of us for the good fellowship we enjoy, for the encouragement we can be to one another in our times of need. And we're mindful now, Father, of a number of our brethren who are experiencing medical issues, perhaps spiritual issues, and we pray that uh, you would guide us in ways that we can be of help and assistance to them. Thank you most of all, Father, for your Son, 
and for the hope that we have in him, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.